Usually when I'm talking about self-defense tools, I'm talking about those natural tools that all of us are endowed with just because we're born in a human body. It's what coach Tony Blauer likes to call our human weapon system. Ordinarily, when I talk about defending yourself with your natural tools, I'm talking about using the tools that our human bodies have to attack targets on somebody who is trying to harm us. Sometimes I do talk about other kinds of external tools like pepper spray, stun guns, coubitons, and things like that. And as you know, as a rep for Damsel in Defense, I do help to provide those kinds of external tools to women who want them. But today's show is focused on something else. It's focused on the most lethal tool that we have, which is the firearm. Now, I grew up in Oklahoma where a lot of people have guns and use them, but there were none in my family, none in my home. As far as I know, none of the people that I hung out with knew anything about them. And I was pretty much ignorant about the whole world of firearms. That changed when I got into my 50s and I decided that I wanted to get my own and I wanted to learn how to use it. And I wanted to connect that to my self-defense training. And so when I got into my 50s, I sought out instruction and learned how to use the firearm, learned about maintaining them, and discovered kind of what the best thing for me was. My guest today has basically the opposite story to mine. She has been around firearms since she was a young child. And what she does in the world now is really cool. She is part of a community of women who are teaching other women all about firearms. And whether you are a total newbie who has a lot of fear, anxiety, concern, and maybe even some false beliefs about guns, or you are a competitive shooter who is just looking to improve, she is somebody who can help you out there. And like I said, she's part of a great community that I didn't even know existed when I decided that I wanted to get my own gun and I wanted to learn how to shoot. So we're having a conversation today about women and firearms, and it's an important conversation because as with the general self-defense industry, the world of firearms and firearm instruction has been largely dominated by men and by law enforcement and military men in particular. And although there are some fabulous dudes who teach that kind of stuff and from whom I have actually learned some great stuff. There's something really special about talking with a woman who has a lifetime of experience with firearms and whose mission in the world is to educate and support other women in learning about and using firearms, whether that is for self-protection or for fun through competition. So today's guest is all that and more, and I hope that you enjoy our conversation as much as we did when we recorded it. I also hope that it stimulates a little bit of curiosity and perhaps a desire to learn a little bit more for you. Here we go. Welcome to the Born to Be a Badass podcast, the show about the intersection of women's empowerment, embodiment, and self-defense, and what women need to know and do to enhance their physical, mental, and emotional safety. Here's your host, fourth-degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Jalakor-Rude. 
Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolker-Rude. Today, I am super excited to bring on the show a completely different kind of guest than anybody who's been on before. Karen Heiss is an emergency preparedness coach and firearms instructor. She leads two shooting chapters of The Well-Armed Woman and has multiple instructor certifications. She and her husband have a business where they help individuals and families become better prepared for emergency situations, covering all aspects of emergency preparedness, including firearms training and maintenance. Karen is also the owner of one of the puppies from the litter born to my protection dogs, Glory and Hero, right at the beginning of the lockdown. She has a very beautiful girl who is appropriately named Kimber. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thanks for having me, Cynthia. <laughs> I'm so excited we get to do this. This is going to be a conversation unlike any of the others that I've had so far, but one that I think we really need to have because there are a lot of women who are getting firearms lately, and the firearm industry and conversations are, like the self-defense world, very dominated by dudes and a lot of law enforcement and military dudes, too. Very so. much so, which can be intimidating to many women, um, yes. especially women who have had a traumatic past, specifically with a male perpetrator. Yes. Well, and there aren't a lot of women like you, although there's more now than there used to be, Oh yes, who can actually have this conversation and share a different perspective. So that's why I'm super excited that we get to get to be on here today. So I like to start the show with just some simple, easy questions to kind of get in the groove so we, we relax and get going and flowing. So are you ready for that? Absolutely. All right. What is your favorite thing to do with your new puppy? Now going on walks with her. I love watching her discover the world. It, it is fascinating to watch her just be fascinated by the lizards and the birds and the people running by. So we're, we're building and she's becoming very well socialized to the sounds of our area. Oh, that's great because one of the downsides of being born up in Coyoteville during the COVID lockdown was it was really hard to expose her to ordinary town environment mm -hmm. things. So it's a brand new world for her. It is. Even through the 4th of July, she was great. We had her inside. I turned on an old baseball back on the 4th of July. It was previous year's baseball uh, games. Right. <laughs> um, be, my husband was watching those because there was no other baseball on. And she was happy as a clam, just laid in her X-pin and was like, I'm all good. Even with the fireworks going off? Yeah, right out in front of our house. Nice. She didn't have a care. What a good girl. <laughs> If you could go anywhere with anyone and do anything at all, what would be your dream vacation? I am very much an ocean person. The ocean is my happy place. So dream vacation would be to take my family to Hawaii. And my husband and I went on our honeymoon to the Big Island and went to the volcano. And it happened to be erupting. And I got some amazing photographs of the lava. And so I would love to take my kids back and experience that. And just the overall, it's so much more relaxed, Hawaii. And 
all the negative ions of the ocean just make me happy. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. I think there's a lot of people that like right now would like to escape to Hawaii. <laughs> yes, I think so. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I actually was lucky enough to take all four of my kids to Hawaii two years ago. And it was the first time that we ever went on a vacation, just me and the four kids. Oh, awesome. And I think my youngest at that point was 19. So (laughs) it's way overdue, but it's a great thing to be able to do something like that and explore a place together as a Mm -hmm. family, especially a beautiful place. So that's neat. What is your favorite self-care practice? I would have to say I'm not a super girly girl, but I do like having my nails done. And with the shutdown, it was kind of a bummer. But I figured out how to start doing my nails on my own. So keeping up my nails makes me happy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and makes me feel like I'm not kind of frumpy in this lockdown and not going anywhere. It's an arena of things. So do you do like the whole process? Do you like soak your hands and do all the massage and the oil and the cuticle stuff and all that? You I do. do. It, it it takes me a lot longer than just going to an appointment. I have to set aside a couple, three hours because I put a um, powder over the top of them. So I have to soak that off. Then I give myself a true manicure and then put it all back on again. Oh, that's cool. My older daughter, Charlotte was very into nails. She was a ballroom dancer for many, many years. And she ran a nail blog called Many Mannies. And she learned how to do all the fancy stuff where she would do like marbling and drawing things and gradients. and Like she did all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, and I have to say, I do miss my pedicures. First world problems, but it was my chance to get away, sit in the massage chair and have somebody else pamper me. (laughs) That's really important. Just being in a place when you're taking care of everybody else. And that's kind of what we do as moms to even just for an hour, have somebody else take care of you Mm -hmm. is wonderful. And it is, as you said, it's important to set aside that time because I equate it which many people have said, it's like the oxygen mask. If you're not getting oxygen, how are you going to help yep. and and be there for your husband and your kids? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that. So once things open back up again, that is on my to-do list <laughs> as well. I don't do my fingernails anymore. I mean, you can look at my hands there. I am very <laughs> I rough. like on- no nails. Because of being with the horses and everything and being up at the ranch now, I did do my nails once because I was going to a networking event and then I think they lasted like two days. Right. (laughs) My typically ladies go every two weeks or so to get their nails done, but I am very, very rough on my hands, um, (laughs) especially with the firearms right? and breaking them down and cleaning them and things like that. So yeah, I need to go a little more often usually. I think that's great. Well, what would your advice be to young women in their 20s that you wish that you had known when you were that age? Wow, that's a thinker. Something along the lines of just go after what you want. And if you fall down, get back up again. And there's a special someone out there for everyone. I didn't think that I would find someone like my husband, and there he was. (laughs) And we have been happily together 
for 20 years and married for 17 and it's amazing. So yeah, just get out there, do it and give it your best is, you know, but be cautious at the same time. Don't be naive. Try, try to educate yourself in the world, not so much academics is that is great, but in the world and how the world works too. Um, so that you don't fall into some of the common pitfalls that many young women do. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's, that's really interesting that that's kind of where your mind went because one of the reasons why I developed sort of the short name is the prep school, but the self-defense school for women was because I think that these are things that we should all learn as we're growing up, like mm-hmm. how to be safe in the world. Like what are the real dangers and threats? What are the warning signs we need to be able to recognize? How do we avoid bad situations? How do we diffuse or deescalate or change the dynamics of a situation? And if we have to you know, fight for our lives, how do we do that? We should learn that growing up. Because it's an essential part of living. Absolutely. But we don't. <laughs> I 100% agree with that. But then don't beat yourself up if you happen to fall in one of those arenas or pitfalls. Even if you have feel like you've taken all the right steps and then you end up in a situation, sometimes it is of no fault of your own or you were blinded by other things. So don't be embarrassed by it. Don't, you know, get help if you need help. And there, I guarantee you, there are people who have gone through that exact same situation, never thought they would ever be in that situation, thought that they had fully prepared themselves, yet ended right smack, feeling like a statistic and embarrassed about it and shameful about it. Don't go there because that will make it even worse to, you know, be honest about it, share if you can, and help heal yourself. So then you will be that much stronger afterwards. Yeah, yeah, that's very wise. And it's true, like, oftentimes, like shit just happens. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And it doesn't matter, you know, whether or not you think it should have happened, or honestly, the perpetrators, they don't care whether you're prepared or not. No, not at all. And many of them take their time and are slow and methodical about what they're doing so that you don't see it coming. That's right. Yeah, well, that's great advice. So what is the most difficult decision you've ever had to make? And what was your process for making it? Wow. There's been several, but I'm trying to think of the most difficult. I've been so very blessed as well. So to be honest, I'm not really coming up with anything. (laughs) Um, But in general, when I'm facing a difficult situation, I am, I'm an overthinker. So I try to look at every aspect over and over and over again, almost to my detriment. But I weigh all the pros and the cons, and I just try to find the least worst <laughs> decision <laughs> because yes. sometimes there is not a good decision and go with that and just be confident in the decision I made once I finally make it. 
Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, God, how many times have I been in a situation where it really isn't about making a good decision. It is about making the least worst one. Right. (laughs) Yes, so true. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, I understand kind of like getting into analysis paralysis, too, where, you know, feel like the more time you spend, the better the outcome is going to be. And that's not always true. But I do think that it is sometimes very useful to think about things from multiple different perspectives. Absolutely. So that you can see all sides because so many times we're in a hurry because the society we and world we live in is just right away, right away, do, do, do. And unfortunately, that can kind of make us narrow-minded because we don't have the time to seek out the right education and the facts. But then sometimes there is almost too much information <laughs> too mm-hmm. that you can be paralyzed by, I don't know which way to go. Yeah. It's interesting because when I teach the self-defense courses, one of the filters that I share for making decisions and making choices is like, what is it going to cost me? Mm -hmm. Like what, what is it going to cost me if I do this? And what is it going to cost me if I don't do that? Right. And what could it cost the people who care about me Mm -hmm. if I do or I do not do whatever it is. And, you know, it's, it's easy to frame that in a personal defense context, but I think it's also very valuable for other life decisions. Like what, what is it going to cost me if I do or don't make this choice? Mm -hmm. And it's not just like financial cost, it's emotional cost, it's time cost, it's inner resources. It's, it's all of that. Exactly. And, and if you don't have a proper support system to make a certain decision, that may end up being that decision. Right. Kind of by default. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's dig a little bit into your background. Like, Where did you grow up and what was your educational path? So I grew up right here in the Sacramento area. And firearms educational? The whole, or, the whole or, thing. Like um, family okay. educational path. I know you have a pretty interesting background. Yeah. <laughs> so um, typical public school upbringing here in the Sacramento area, I kind of got a different perspective because uh, I went from kind of school to school if we moved here and there, which I think is great. I kind of got some different diversities, not just being in the same school the whole time, which there's benefits to that as well. But then my mom remarried when I was about 10 and we moved from the South Sacramento area up to Rockland back when there was one stoplight and uh, there was no high school. (laughs) So growing up up there, a little bit removed from the more urban type, gave a new perspective, but still in a community. Then I went to uh, Delora High School in Loomis, and uh, it was always instilled in me that just the natural progression is you're going to college no matter what. In my mind, it was not, oh, you stop after high school. It was just with my upbringing. No, you, you don't stop at 12. You, you keep going. There was no, I don't want to do this. Or it, I was like, oh, there are people who don't just go on to college. Okay. <laughs> um, I did make a, a pit stop to at Sierra College to do my AA there uh, so I could live at home right in Rockland. And then I went on to Chico State 
and had a blast there. Earned my uh, Bachelor of Science in Instructional Design, which is designing education for adults uh, based in adult learning theories. So kind of a flashback when I was about eight years old, my father was a huge firearms enthusiast and he started teaching me about all the aspects of a firearm. And I had to name all the parts of the firearm before I could shoot it. Um, But at eight years old for my eighth birthday, I got my first Daisy BB gun. And so I have always been around firearms. I also come from a strong woman role model, my mom. She was a skeet and trap shooter in high school. So she has always had a respect and a joy of using firearms. So it was also just a natural thing that was part of my life. And um, then I met my husband and I always tease that the only reason he married me is because I came with a dowry dowry of firearms. (laughs) (laughs) When my father passed away, I was his only heir and I inherited his firearms. And so my husband is a very big firearms enthusiast as well. And now working towards becoming a gunsmith now that he's retired. And so a couple of years ago, my mom took me to a well-armed woman meeting. A friend of hers had joined and she said, oh, come with me. Come see what I think you would like this. Let's go see what this is about. And boy, did it snowball from there. Um, I absolutely was like, this is so awesome. (laughs) And Debbie McDonald, who is the one of the Sacramento chapter leaders and who is also the well-armed woman shooting chapter state leader here in California, she's just an amazing person to watch and you very magnetic. And so I just started taking just about every training that was offered out. The the well-armed women shooting chapters is not only the chapter meetings, but then they are able to put together trainings, bringing in other people. And so I went to just about everything I could afford and, and had time to do. And one of those was getting my range safety officer uh, certification because I didn't want to just be a member. I wanted to be involved with the well-armed woman. And Debbie had sent out a message that uh, Placerville was had a new range and was getting ready to start a chapter up there. And based on where I live and where the Sacramento chapter met, it was kind of a, oh, well, it might be a little easier to go that direction. And I sent Debbie a note and I said, well, I'm a range safety officer now. So if they need any assistance up there, please let the people starting the chapter know and I'll be happy to help. And she said, okay, yeah, great. Actually, why don't you go meet with them? And I said, oh, okay, sounds good. It turns out a little time went by and the gal who was trying to start it had to take a step back and couldn't take that on. So I went ahead and met with the other two ladies that were just 
going to assist as well. We had a sit down at um, Sweet Peas, I think mm-hmm. it's right, um, in Placerville. And we just had a conversation about our backgrounds. And and then they just kind of turned to me and said, why don't you be the leader? <laughs> and I kind of looked behind me like, who are you talking to? <laughs> And then that snowball got that much bigger. I started just about any uh, instructor certification I could find to get my hands on. And I just love it. And now, as of last month, I have started a second chapter in Roseville. And this group of ladies is nothing I have ever experienced before. They not only are self-protection like-minded and... Second Amendment like-minded, but they're just cool and kind ladies. A lot of times when you get a group of women and ladies together, there's a weird dynamic and sometimes a, a competing and a resenting and it's not like that at all. And I've been to two national conventions now and hundreds of us get together and it's just, just amazing. It's just the energy is absolutely amazing. Wow. What a story, man. And, you know, it's funny that it snowballed the way it did because life has a way of putting you in that position where you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, yeah, I'll take that on. But it ends up being where you go anyway. Well, And, it and just, it's perfect. It truly became a great blending of my backgrounds, my hobby with firearms and teaching adults and it just it mixes well it was it was kind of a no-brainer <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a perfect perfect coming together of all of those elements in you to take that leadership something role. i i actually never knew i wanted but then really really love doing it yeah <laughs> oh, and i can so relate to your path of like taking every single freaking course you could find yeah i had to slow down <laughs> I did that when I first started to shoot and I, it was something that I always wanted to do and just had never been in the space to do and didn't know where to go or anything like that. And then when I started dating Dave, he's, his whole family is very firearms oriented. Just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, just a little, (laughs) you know, they have the sporting goods store where they sell firearms and stuff. And then they also have the range there and So I actually signed up to do my first handgun class before Dave and I started dating. Jumped in at the deep end and went to a tactical program where it was move and shoot. And like, I didn't even know, I hadn't even ever touched again before. That is the deep end, yes. (laughs) And they loaned me a Glock that was five times bigger than my hand. (laughs) Yeah, um, but I did all right. And then... um, after that, I went to the local range in, in Santa Clara that was oh, called mm-hmm. Reeds, and I did a great course there that was the NRA's, I think it was the First Steps program, mm-hmm. and um, the people that ran it, they after you did the basic handgun course, they actually added an extra night, and they brought probably 15 of their own firearms in and arranged them sort of in caliber order from a little tiny 22 Browning 22 that I actually love so much. I went and I, I got one of my own um, all the way up to, you know, big old massive Magnum. Right. Um, And so, but the point was that you could get to try them all out and, you know, 
try different semi-automatics and, it, and it's different so important to and, get a full understanding of firearms that yeah. way too That's and then amazing. i was hooked and i did exactly what you do it's like okay where's the next course right. what can i go and do <laughs> i did do the rso course um even though like i there's absolutely no reason why i should have that certification whatsoever but I did that. and But it's um, still a good foundation for safety on a range. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the safety in the home mm-hmm. and the refuse to be a victim course. And I did all of that stuff. And at the time, I was thinking I could blend that with my self-defense sure. teaching. I think now what I would rather do is partner with somebody like you <laughs> to bring the two pieces together. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. I can so relate to that path and, and the snowball effect. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Can you describe just a little bit like what the Well-Armed Woman is all about? Like what is the mission? So the Well-Armed Woman or TWA for short, as we call it, Shooting Chapters, <laughs> is a nonprofit organization made up of a group of women who we meet monthly and practice, and we learn and grow as shooters. These are groups of local women. Matter of fact, we're all over the United States in, I think, all but Rhode Island now. Wow. But don't quote me on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Most most states. (laughs) And we leaders and groups of leaders create an opportunity for women to be introduced to issues important to women shooters learn safe gun handling skills, and train together in a safe and comfortable, non-pressured environment. So are most of the members of the local chapters women who already have a firearm and have experience with it, or do you get a lot of newbies? Um, I get all levels, to be honest with you. Um, I get brand new shooters that especially right now with all the unrest, we are seeing a very large uptick in membership. And many of the, much of the narrative is I want to be comfortable with one. Some is my husband has one, but I've never touched it. I've been afraid of it. So what we do is we bring those ladies into the fold and we start them out very slowly and basic, unless they're ready to, you know, also hit the ground. We have many that come in and say, I just bought this gun. Now teach me how to shoot it and <laughs> teach me all the aspects. Yeah. Um, so I start with having them rent a firearm and learn what's going to be the best firearm for them. And if they already have one, then I help them use that to the best ability. And we have ladies who are competition shooters. Um, that come in and want to be there to just learn more education and be around like-minded ladies and have conversations. Because, yes, we do an hour of education and then an hour of practice shooting at my two chapters. Each chapter is a smidge different on how they run, but that's the basics of it. But we also kind of, you know, first 10 minutes chit-chat about things and what's going on in the community. And things that in some realms you just can't talk about. And so, and we can talk about how our world is going without being judged for our views. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. What are some of the educational things that you cover in that first hour? So we do any, it's not just firearms. 
we cover, I do a whole um, presentation on the levels of situational awareness. And during that as a tactile memory part as well, putting in my adult education in there, <laughs> I have the ladies make a keychain that has the different colors of the code. Oh my goodness, that's really cool. So I'm showing Cynthia my keychain. And it has white, yellow, orange, red, and black that um, is actually more of a zipper pull. Yeah, that's neat. And as I'm walking the ladies through the different levels and explaining how they should apply that in their everyday life at the grocery store, um, taking the kids to and from school, then they to have a takeaway that's a reminder to keep them in that awareness mindset. That's cool. Can you just like briefly cover like what the different levels are? Yes. So white level white is kind of the just completely tuned out um, level that is, you know, pretty much you're asleep. Although we have many people who are walking around practically asleep. It would be that person walking down the street on their cell phone, zoned in on exactly what's going on on their phone and has no clue what's going on around them. So blissfully unaware. Correct. <laughs> Yellow is the, I'm aware, I'm perhaps walking out of the grocery store to my car and I'm just casually scanning what's going on. I'm not super anxious. I'm not hyper aware. I just happen to notice that, okay, somebody's getting in their car over there. There's somebody sitting in their car. Oh, a mom's having trouble getting the kid in the car. You can sympathize. And then I just move on and kind of keep my eyes open and my head turning. Then orange is, okay, during that walk out to my car, something's caught my eye. So I'm going to start to watch that. And I personally, and how I teach my ladies, and I also tell them, do it with your kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews. Make it a game. It's almost like an I spy. And so I start thinking of, okay, how can I get away from a bad situation? At orange, I'm heightened. I'm like, okay, I'm going to move a little more quickly. I'm going to look for some exits if I need to. And then red is the shit's a fan. You need to take action. You need to get out of there immediately or take action to defend your your life and your loved ones and black is it's done for it, it's just you're in the fight you're just you you could not avoid it mm -hmm. that's really interesting is it that very much parallels what and how i teach you know and uh, blissfully unaware is a nice place to be if you're doing some lovely self-care in a very safe place right. and you can zone out. But the rest of the time, it's not a super, super great place to be. That's actually one reason why I got protection dogs mm -hmm. is because I felt as though in the environment that I was moving to, I would not have the opportunity where I would be comfortable enough to actually be able to relax and not have to be paying attention you know, with some part of me to what was going on around and getting the dogs was like, they're going to notice if one of my neighbors comes over the fence, right? You know, they're going to notice if something's amiss. So since they're there, 
I actually can have moments of being blissfully aware. <laughs> so and that is a great gift. That is our thought process in coming and getting Kimber. Yeah. Uh, we had a dog previously that was pretty aware, um, but was not, he was a mini doxy named Claymore. <laughs> <laughs> a nod to my husband's uh, army days. But it was nice because we could relax a little more. And, um, but we're looking forward to Kimber being to that level. Yeah. Too. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, the other thing is, you know, as you go up those levels of awareness, like the the yellow level of just very relaxed noticing um, is a great place to be because you're not feeling like you have to be hypervigilant, which is what most women don't want to to have to feel. But it's where a lot of women live right now is is like they feel like they have to be vigilant all the time. And that can, that can wear you out. It's exhausting. You just, you you have to learn that balance of, of sometimes you bounce between the yellow and the orange, Yes, but to stay in the yellow. But when you're in the yellow and you're, you're just tuning in and noticing like that's where, if there is something that's a potential threat, your instincts and intuition will kick in. And I have to say when, when I'm teaching the ladies about this, it, I remind them that it's it's a process to to train yourself. Just like you're not going to pick up the firearm and be a master at it right away. This is all conditioning yourself, and it takes time. It does. Although some things are pretty instantaneous, I think one of the things that's like a aha moment when I teach is just women understanding that like you're born with the ability to detect danger. Yes. And what we do is we're super freaking good at dismissing the warning signs. Like we get exactly. that bad feeling and then, then we talk ourselves out of it. Like, no. And society no. has this done that. I mean, I, fight or flight is deep inside us, but we've been taught to, no, don't overreact. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Especially like as women. Yeah, you're, you're overreacting. Oh my goodness. So drama. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so we're like the only creature on the planet that actually dismisses that warning sign. Right. Yeah. So when you're talking about being in that yellow state, that's that's where if you are open you know, and you get that bad feeling, that's what triggers you to move to orange, which is something's up. I may not know exactly what it is right now, but I'm going to start actually really paying attention to what's going on and see if I can figure out why I got that bad feeling. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about looking for it, but I think that also like we take in information through all of our senses. So Absolutely. it might be a smell or it might be a, a sound that we heard or... Or heck, even just the hairs on the back of your neck, the spidey sense. Well, your, your hair can go up on the back of your neck. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Mine is a little too long to do that, but it shows up in all kinds of ways. Like people get like butterflies in their stomach or mm-hmm. they'll get hot or, you know, all kinds of things. And And I think that, you know, with the scheme there, that orange state is the one where I know that there's something going on. And the responsible thing to do is to give yourself permission to honor that, you know, like I got this warning sign for a reason. I'm going to now pay attention and really try to find where that threat or just is coming leave. From. Yeah. It, it, just take action. Yeah. Just yeah. move out of And It doesn't matter if you have to leave your cart in the middle of the aisle or what have you just, just leave. Yeah. You know, I have Tony Blower, who is a coach that 
has, I mean, I wouldn't be teaching self-defense if I hadn't worked with him. He has a lot of brilliant insights. And one was that he, he really redefined what self-defense means. And in his world, it is the act of choosing safety when danger is imminent. Mm -hmm. And if that's how you define it, rather than how most people do, which is, you know, basically fighting to protect yourself, then it gives you the space to do something like, you know what, I'm just going to go. I'm, or I'm going to turn around and go back into the store and ask for an escort or, correct, yep. you know, and any number of things. I'm going to cause a commotion. Um, well, and one of the uh, topics that I talk about is verbal de-escalation. Because, yes, I teach my ladies that if you need to use your firearm, this is how you're going to use it. But let's see if we can do steps before we have to get to that level. And an aha moment I got from my ladies when I did this one was talking in a very low and steady tone so that the person typically is yelling and screaming at you. They have to pause and it, it makes their brain kind of click and they have to almost lean into, wait, processing what you said, which can just kind of diffuse that situation. Yeah, there are a lot of things that we can do to de-escalate or diffuse or just change the dynamics of the mm -hmm. situation. and. You know, again, those are skills that most of us don't learn. Exactly. But we'd all rather use something at that level than have to fight for our lives. Yeah. So when you talk about then progressing down to red, that's where you figured out that there's a threat. You know what it is. It's right there. It's imminent. And it's not something that you can avoid. You're just going to have to deal have with to, it. Yep. Yeah. And that's, again, you do have choices in that space. Um, but the black is basically an ambush, you know, or a situation that you can't defuse. Absolutely. And depending on what articles and books you read, several stop at um, the four, the white, the yellow, the orange, and the red, and they don't go into the black. <laughs> in my research and experience, I wanted to go down that extra level for my ladies. It's important because especially with some of the, quote, apex predators, you know, the ones that have an agenda, they have a plan, they have a specific thing that they need to make happen with whoever they choose to target as a victim. You could use all your wonderful skills and tools to try to defuse the situation. And it's not going to do anything at all because they're bent on what they're going exactly. to do. and. If you get ambushed, which does happen, we see it. you don't even have the opportunity to run through any of those no, other things. No, you don't. And so if it's you're instant. not teaching people how to deal with that, uh, you're really missing something really important. And especially like with an ambush, you just that's where people freeze mm -hmm. quite often. But you can actually freeze at the earlier stages. Oh, absolutely. Yes. But have, at least having the conversation and developing some mental blueprints about if if you're in a situation that unfolds like this, at least then you have some programming in your brain. And I that tell you them use. while you're pumping gas, you're just standing there, run through a scenario. Uh -huh. What would happen if this happened or that happened? And then think, take those next steps and think through, well, what would I then do? Because it's just like driving a car when you're first, you know, getting your driver's license, you're okay, I gotta, you think I gotta turn on my blinker. I got to get, and the more you drive a car, it becomes second nature. And yes. it's just 
like that? Um, you know, what you're touching on uh, kind of obliquely is really important because a lot of people, when you talk about self-defense and you talk about scenarios, especially in the age of people posting videos on mm, the internet, yes, you know, everybody's like, well, I would have just shot him, you know, and the act of using a firearm in a defensive situation is a really serious one. Very. And it's not somewhere and you want many, to know many if you can consequences. avoid it. So can you talk a little bit about, about how you can prepare mentally and emotionally for that situation where you really don't have any other choice other than to go to lethal force with your firearm? And then what some of the legal aspects are of like a defensive use of a gun? I'm not expecting you to be a lawyer. No, no, I know. <laughs> I, honestly, I would say to take Masada Ayub's MAG-40 course, it is part shooting and two intensive days of diving into the aspects of having to use your firearm. Andrew Branca, Law of Self-Defense. He has now moved his classes from in-person to online. He has also a podcast where he reviews things that have been in the news and he breaks it down from the law aspect side as well. And then being part of um, USCCA, um, being an instructor, but just... That's the Concealed Carry Association. Yeah, United States Concealed Carry Association. And it's not just a simple, I had to use my firearm. There is the, yes, you had to use it. Hopefully now you are safe. But that means the police department now shows up. They're coming up. They don't know truly who the victim is. And even if you did everything by the letter of the law if you have hurt or unfortunately killed someone that family could then sue you civilly so you have to think beyond just drawing your firearm and what that means for you and your family yes ultimately you are protecting yourself and your family and your loved ones but there are ramifications for it afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that the NRA often discusses, I don't remember which course it is. It might be the um, personal safety in the home class, how really to navigate through the aftermath of an incident and what language to use. And I know there are some really good resources. Maybe we can put them in the show notes for uh, how to talk to, not just how to talk to the police, but what you should and should not say. <laughs> Correct. Um, and Masad Ayub's course gets into that very He says there are certain pieces of his course that please share this. And then there are pieces of the course that have people come take it because he's mm -hmm. knowledgeable and has the degrees in that. But yes, he goes over and it's pretty simple to just kind of run through. But also, if you are a member of USCCA and their protection coverage, they have a plethora of training. And even the membership card you get has a, a script 
on the back for you. That's a good resource. They are instantly there for you because just having a lawyer is actually not enough because self-defense is its own dynamic Mm -hmm. and you need somebody who's educated in self-defense laws. Yes. Yes. Very true. And you're also just reminding me that, you know, we were talking earlier about making decisions and making hard decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I mentioned like understanding the cost of action and inaction. And that's something that really applies in this sort of a scenario too. And you also, you mentioned being able to articulate. And this is something in the self-defense classes that we talk about a lot is like, if something happens and you have to fight for your life, whether you use a firearm or not, right? you have to be able to articulate exactly what happened and why. Yes. And, and you have to, you have to remember you've just been through a traumatic incident. So your brain is not firing on all cylinders. And so going back to running through scenarios, it's like driving your car and just knowing to swerve when something to avoid a collision type thing. It's just something that's kind of already built those neural paths in your brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely something that you need to anticipate before you ever have to go through the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also think that it's easy for people to say, oh, well, I would just use my gun. But if you haven't done any mental and emotional preparation for that, and you have not reached a point where you're giving yourself permission to take that kind of action, you may be in a situation where you think that you would do that and then find that you can't. And it's a very personal choice and it's not specifically related to firearms but whether or not you're actually willing to a hurt another person or b do slightly more than that and injure them (laughs) or incapacitate them or render them unconscious or you know at the worst extreme actually take their life you know you have to find out like where on that spectrum you actually are and i i ask My members think about this. You know, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're getting educated, but it is a personal decision Mm -hmm. that we will not judge you on. But you need to think about you personally, your background, your beliefs, and what you would do in that situation. Yes. It's also really important that you know what you're worth. Absolutely. You know, we often talk about what is your personal reason to survive. Uh, Coach Blower calls it your personal directive. Mm-hmm. And I always talk with my clients about what difference does it make that you're here on the planet? You know, what would the impact be on your friends and family if you didn't survive the situation? Or if you were abducted and you just disappeared and they never knew what happened to you? Mm-hmm. You know, or if you didn't do something hard enough, forceful enough uh, to actually impact the other person. And you ended up incapacitated um, in a coma in the hospital for 20 years. What would be the impact on your, 
on your loved ones mm-hmm. for that. And, and for you, you know, it's knowing what it would cost you again. Right. And those kinds of things can really be helpful in figuring out, well, how far am I willing to go? Yes. they. Many people don't think past an incident. Um, they think, oh, oh, well, of course I would or would not do that. And then when you start bringing up scenarios and what would happen, what could happen afterwards, they start to get a different perspective and change what they may be willing to do or not do. Yeah, in either direction. Exactly. Yeah. I actually spoke with a young woman who was dealing with a domestic violence situation. It was post breakup post-divorce, but she still felt very threatened. And her former partner was continuing to stalk her and threaten her. And her friends were all just telling her, get a gun, get a gun, get a gun. And when she and I spoke, she said, you know, I just, I, I don't feel like that's the right thing for me. I don't think that I could actually point it at somebody and pull the trigger. And she said, is there something you know, that's good, but not necessarily lethal. Mm. I was like, yes, there's, there's all kinds of things you can so do. So many more things. And <laughs> that's another aspect things. we talk about is don't just rely on a firearm. There are levels of self-defense. And matter of fact, last month in the Placerville meeting, we talked about levels of home defense mm-hmm. and how to set up your home to one, not make it a target and not welcoming to thieves and and people you don't want in your home. And, you know, only one little tiny aspect was the firearms. There are protection dogs. I mean, that's just one level of protecting your home, an alarm system, uh, you know, things like that. Yeah, and it's funny because I actually I I still am a rep for damsel in defense, mm, and it's yes. it was something else like I don't want to do that. Like there's no point in me doing that. I don't I don't want to be part of telling women they should carry tools because I know as a self defense coach that it does you no good to have a tool unless you know it's how to properly like, use it. Well, too. <laughs> yeah, that you know how to use it. You've trained with it. You've done mm-hmm. scenarios with it, and it's actually accessible in the instant that you need it. That as and, well. you know, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to use my gun. And it's like, OK, well, do you sleep with that thing like in your hand? Well, and, loaded and ready people to go? who say that <laughs> I often ask, OK, how often do you train with it? Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting response, but you have to have a level of training to be able to accurately use your tool well especially when you are adrenalized and scared maybe it's at night maybe your children are in the hallway between you you know there's all kinds of things that can interfere with your ability to use it but number one is if it's not handy you know it's you're not going to use it right it's a good thing to transition to once you get through that oh shit moment but if it's, you know, Coach Blower always talks about like, well, if it's not duct taped to your hand and ready to fire, it's no good. Precisely. If you right. get ambushed. Right. You know, if you have time 
where you can go and get it out of the safe or wherever you happen to have it. And you can evaluate the situation and, you know, take some preparatory steps. Great. But if it's an ambush situation, you know, like a home invasion or somebody ambushing you on the way to your car or something like that, I mean, what are the odds? I mean, women don't even have access to things like pepper spray. It's like, oh, it's in the bottom of my purse. Precisely. I was thinking, you know, like, oh, sure, I have a coupon. Okay, where is it though? You know, unless you literally have it on your keychain and you are carrying your keys. And so much now, it's keyless entry to so many cars that people aren't even actually having their keys in their hand. So, yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's something that that people don't really think about. And it's so easy to just say, oh, well, I would just... Mm -hmm. But once you really start to drill down into what happens in real life violent encounters, it's a totally different story. It is. Oh, 100%. So what are some of the most common concerns or fears that women express when they come to a training session with you? Their concern is that they won't do it right, so to speak. So we try to squash that right away. Um, Many are fearful of it because it is a lethal form of self-defense, or I should say it can be. And also dispelling a lot of the myths is, is a basic starting out point of classes as well that, oh, well, I was told or I heard or they somehow think, well, I need a little gun. And so I walk through, I start asking them questions. So why do you think you need a little gun. And then maybe they do. Maybe their reasoning is valid. Um, And then sometimes it's not. And a lot of, well, I was told by the store this or that. So it's just educating them and, um, Some of the ones who have, oh, my uncle so-and-so, you know, I've been shooting on my property for a long time. And that's great because there's not a fear there. And it's just correcting some habits and showing them, yep, that was the way it used to be done. We have now scientific basis for our grip, our stance now. Things like that. And then once we show them those simple things and we take them out on the range and the recoil isn't causing their hands to go way up in the air and they're hitting the target, it's just an amazing look on their face and the confidence that you can see builds in them. That's cool because I think, For a lot of women, I think the picture that they have of firearm use, especially handgun use, comes from TV and movies. Yes. And it's usually dudes who are doing it, and it's fast action, and uh, it's it's not at all realistic. Same thing as with self-defense, right, where you see all these whiz-bang 
Right. You know, and it's like, oh, yeah, they're actually being held up by, by a wires. cable or, <laughs> oh, that was three different things spliced together. Or, um, yes, unfortunately, that firearm doesn't fire that many rounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's interesting because that's um, there are a lot of misconceptions about firearms. Mm-hmm including how many rounds they can hold and how many bullets they can shoot at a time, which I find really funny. And the same thing is with self-defense. There are a lot of false beliefs that women hold. You know, there are a lot of women that come into my classes and they just say, well, I'm too small to be able to defend myself oh, or right. I'm not strong. So anybody who attacks me is going to easily be able to overpower me. And when we start to do it, kind of like what you're talking about, which is looking at your physiology and looking at how you can use your body and some actual tools and techniques that you can use to maximize that. Right. Then all of a sudden everything changes and it's like, wow, like I actually do have the ability to do this. Mm-hmm. Do you find that women come into the, the training sessions and the classes with some notions like that, that are limiting for them? Like they think like, I can't do this because... Uh, and I'm thinking in particular, I know I know one woman that I ran across who said, I could never shoot a revolver. They're just too strong for me. Oh, interesting. Um, I haven't heard that one because it, we're finally dispelling the myth, but it's still floating out there that, oh, women need to use just a revolver. Oh, Oh, yeah, that is, and still they are. Oh, I'm glad nobody ever told me that. <laughs> <laughs> there are still the lingering, oh, so-and-so told me or the man at the gun store presented me with these revolvers. And don't get me wrong. They're great. They're fun to shoot. But I always start with, okay. Did he tell you why he suggests that this is for you? And for some ladies, yes, it is great. But pulling the trigger on a revolver is a typical revolver is a 10 pound trigger pull, which is hard to do. And we as women physiologically do not have a lot of upper body strength and hand strength. Where a semi-automatic is much less. It's more like a seven, I think the average one is. Don't quote me again on that. And then you have the double action and the single action. And the because by pulling that, you have to then force the hammer back. And I don't know if the thought process way back when was, well, revolvers tend to have smaller grips, so it'll fit a woman's hand better. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I, I, I have not dove in far enough into this to figure it out. But um, typically, that is not the best first firearm mm-hmm. for a woman. Well, so I know what process I went through to figure out what would be the right gun for me. And honestly, the first one that I bought, I ended up selling eventually because it turned out not to be the right gun for me. Mm. What process do you recommend for a woman who wants to get her first firearm? to figure out like what is going to work for her, what's going to suit her hand, what's going to suit her lifestyle. Like how do you figure that out? There's actually a a good process to go through. We, we actually, this is one of our presentations in one of our chapter meetings that we go through and 
there is a great two-part video and article on the well-armed woman um, done by Carrie Lightfoot, our founder, that she talks through your hand size and the proper gr- using a proper grip and seeing if you can reach the trigger. And that there's many different aspects that I don't have run down in front of me. But once you know those basics, and so you go into, I recommend before you even go into the store, go to a range. Um, if you need to call the range first to ensure that they rent firearms, not all uh, gun ranges rent firearms. And if you have an idea of perhaps the caliber that you want to start with, then make sure that they have that. Typically at a range, you have to purchase their ammunition to use in their firearm for liability reasons and ensure that they have that before you get there. Then go and rent several different types models, makes, different calibers, and find what's right for you. To be honest with you, nobody can tell you what's right for you. They can definitely, absolutely recommend because it it is kind of a vast, well, here in California, unfortunately, it's not as vast because (laughs) of our roster. Um, But the range will have typically has the firearms that are on the roster so that you know that if you're going to go in and you're going to shoot it and you like it, you can purchase it here in California. Whereas using a friend's firearm who, oh, by the way, is a law enforcement officer, they're allowed to purchase at a different level that's called off roster. Um, Or perhaps it was something that they were they inherited that's an older firearm so think about what you would be able to purchase as well yeah and that varies across the country it truly does yes it's california we are quite restricted much like new york and new jersey and hawaii but also what i start to tell them to think about especially right now is once you think you know what you like and in what caliber check to see the availability and the price of ammunition mm-hmm. because you need to practice with this firearm whether it's just going to be in your home or you're going to eventually move to uh, go through the concealed carry permit process so that you can carry it you need to practice so you need to look at the what the availability of practice ammunition is versus mm-hmm. Self-defense ammunition, which we also get into the differences Mm -hmm. in that we talk, that's a whole nother uh, presentation we do is just getting down to the nitty gritty of this is what ammunition is and this is how it looks like and this is what it comes in. And then you need to start thinking, okay, I'm going to practice with this, but what would be the best to Mm -hmm. use if heaven forbid I ever had to be in a self-defense situation? Right. That's really interesting because there are so many variables Mm -hmm. and really the only way to know what is going to work for you is to just try things. It's like a pair of shoes, truly. (laughs) 
So I'm curious, you mentioned earlier that there are some ladies in the chapter who do competition shooting. Mm -hmm. What are some of the competitions that you can do if, uh, I mean, a lot of women who start shooting, I think, have sort of a holy shit, I had no idea this was so much fun kind of a moment. Yes, it is addicting. I do remind them <laughs> that um, you're going to start and you're going to buy one. Now, it's not typical. <laughs> you're going to start, you're going to buy one, and then you're going to buy, you're another, buy another, and another one, and then you're going to want to buy another one. Um, <laughs> Guilty. Yeah, right? Yes. So there is a whole vast array of shooting sports. It's fluctuating right now with yeah. COVID. Um, but then there are also leagues um, at Hangtown Range. Um, they're going to try to start up again at the end of the summer. Their league. What, what does a league do? Uh, sorry. It's kind of everybody just gets together and has that. Say it's a Wednesday night and it's kind of a bracketed competition or they'll do what's called poker where you have a, a target that has the cards and the <laughs> things on it. And, you know, when you get a flush or, you know, things like that, I have not participated in any of those. So I can't dive truly into yeah. that. Um, kind of like a bowling league. That went a little bit. <laughs> yes. Um, but then there are um, one of our leaders here in California. She goes all over the state and outdoor ranges and it's set courses. And it's timed that you go through. Um, and then you you move. It, it literally is a sport. And you get sponsors. And So is that you just standing in one place or are you moving around? No, you and move. Shooting different things. Yep, around barriers, shooting different targets, steel, moving targets. That sounds as though that would be great training for real world encounters. Absolutely. And that is one of the great things that the Sacramento chapter has is they use an outdoor range um, out at Sac Valley Shooting, which is just outside of Ione. And so with an outdoor range, they have the ability to set up courses of fire and teach how to use your firearm with movement. That's cool. One of the things, like, I think I mentioned that the first handgun class I went to turned out to be a defensive tactics right. class. <laughs> um, and one of the things that they would do is they would have one one weekend would be a drills weekend, skills mm. and drills. Mm -hmm. And then the other weekend would be scenarios. And they did vehicle scenarios and house scenarios and all kinds of things. And I, I've always thought, I wish that I had found that after I had learned how to shoot. Rather right. than from right. my first You kind of did it the backwards way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's something that I would really like to to get into when I have a little bit more time that right? I can go and do yes. that. <laughs> and um, and I think that it's, it's very similar to what I do with the self-defense training. Like you can learn drills, you can practice your skills, uh, but it's in doing the scenarios and the dynamic movement work that you really discover what you are capable of. And we try to always remind the members that, yes, we're at a range, especially in Placerville at Hangtown range. We're quite spoiled. It's indoor, it's heated, it's air conditioned. And it's level. It's level. It's a, <laughs> it's a stagnant target yeah. at a set distance. And that's not real life. Yeah. 
So I encourage everyone, never stop learning, never stop taking training, take training from many different people. Mm -hmm. Because even if you take the same type of course, but from a different instructor, you're going to get a whole new perspective on things. Yeah. Well, the other thing is like, it's very similar to martial arts. Exactly. When you learn martial arts, you're in a lovely studio with nice mats and all the things that you do. Well, number one, the person you're doing them with, if you have a partner, is not actually trying to hurt you. Correct. So you're not (laughs) in any kind of fear state at all. But also all the techniques and things that you learn, you're balanced, you're prepared, you're, you're at ease. It's totally different when you take those same things and you try to do them on the stairs or moving backwards or in the dark. <laughs> right, right. And, I went through know, a self-defense course um, where we had the class and then we were fortunate enough to have a, a large uh, space that we did. And it was a separate room. And the gentleman, the three gentlemen teaching it, went in and put on the big suits mm-hmm. and they turned off the lights and they set up different obstacles and they had each of us go in one at a time and we were literally coming in blind right. and to try to use the different techniques and moves that they had taught us in the hours before. And it's amazing what you remember because uh, you literally just repeated it over and uh-huh. over again the hour before lunch, but your adrenaline's through the roof. You can't yep. see. So that was a really amazing course. Yeah, that sounds like fun. And I mean, the interesting thing about doing that is probably a lot of the things that you learned were complex motor skills. And those are the things that go out the window when you're truly scared, you know? Right. And it's the the same reason. Yep. It's the same reason why when people say, oh, well, I would have just pulled out my gun and shot him. It's like, oh, no, you wouldn't, because that is a complex motor skill. Reaching to get a firearm out of a holster or out of your purse or whatever, and remembering to take the safety off and racking around, you know, it, and that's one of the, all you require your cognitive brain to do that. And when you're scared shitless, your cognitive brain is out to lunch temporarily. Exactly. <laughs> um, one of, I have not done it with my chapters, but some of the chapters have done a drill where they have the ladies stick their hands in an ice chest full of ice and keep them in there for a bit and then safely dry off their hands. But your hands are numb. Right. And that's what happens when you are in that fight. Flight mode is fingers. Right. Because everything go drains from your extremities into your core to protect Mm -hmm. your organs and you lose your fine motor skills. So pick up that firearm and attempt to fire a round. And it's, to a specific place. Right. To that specific <laughs> stagnant target. So it's it's an eye-opening experience. Yeah. Well, that's another reason why, you know, when people say, well, why couldn't you have just shot him in the leg? You know, it's like, oh, I mean, even police officers in the moment are often not able to because be that the, precise. Right. Well, <laughs> and the of core reasons. of self-defense is stop the threat. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing. You need to stop the threat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we talk a lot in the self-defense classes about how force must parallel danger. Mm. You know, you can't shoot somebody if all they've said is you're a bitch. Right. <laughs> and I think one of the things that stuck with me 
the most from one of my first classes because I was asking about, because I knew nothing about this. And I was just asking, well, like how many times, like, should you shoot somebody if, if you're in a true life and death situation and that is what is required? Like how many times should you pull the trigger? And like, does it matter if you have a 22 versus, you know, a 40 cal? And, and the instructor just said, well, the more holes, the better. And it's like, oh, okay, I, I get that. And and then as we were talking about targets, it's like everybody's always like, well, you need to get a nice little tiny group. And it's like, that's great I for just, marksmanship. I know. And, and that was one of the things he said is like, well, that's for a different purpose. And for me, it was kind of like martial arts. It's great to learn like controlled kicking. Where And mm-hmm. we did this in Taekwondo where it's like you can kick somebody to the head, but just touch the side of the head. Like you're not actually smacking them upside right. the head with right. your foot. It takes incredible control to do that. And mm-hmm. it takes amazing control to be able to get a, like a little tiny group of bullet holes in the target all in the same little area. Right. But in a self-defense situation, who gives a shit if you've covered, you know, a, a foot by a foot by a foot or even more? You know, who cares if your shots go all over the place as long as they're making perforations and they stop the threat? Yes, but... With the ensure you know your target and what is beyond oh, your target yes. as well. Oh yes, which it also takes training. You it can't does. just willy nilly things, so to speak. Yeah, 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 definitely. Now, I was just thinking, like, if you if you are in that situation and you have that target right in front of you, you don't really care if you hit once in the shoulder, once in the stomach, once you're in not the being great. Although, you know, who cares? But yeah, definitely. That actually, then knowing that the target and what is beyond was another one of the things that I really had to think about because I think I was living in Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Well, I'm in a house. Like, I, I don't think I could ever use a handgun or, or well, any firearm defensively in that environment because I had neighbors all around. I had a two story house." You know, if somebody had been coming up the stairs or whatever, like there, I could, I could see what was beyond like right in my house, but beyond in that environment was all over the place, you know, all kinds of people's houses, people walking on the street, you know, kids coming and going from school. And that's where we talk about the different types of ammunition Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and how ammunition works for those specific situations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much to consider about mm-hmm. it. And I think that what you are doing and what the organization does in terms of not just hands-on training, but the mental and emotional, psychological aspects of training, like that totally lights me up because that is what is needed. It is no good to be able to use techniques and tools if you don't have the mindset and you're not mentally, emotionally, and psychologically prepared. You mm-hmm. don't understand the context. So I just, I love what you're up to with that. And I'm really glad that there are groups doing this kind of training for women. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing that, and there are many other groups that are similar to the well-armed women. And I would tell anyone, any woman who has just maybe even thought about, well, maybe I should learn how to you I don't necessarily want to own one but maybe I should go learn mm-hmm. is to seek out a group and go sit in a meeting or two and see what it's about make sure it's the right fit for you as well mm-hmm. and then jump in <laughs> 
Yes. It's funny that you brought that up because my daughter's, well, I, I actually exposed all four of my kids to firearms and to understanding how to handle them Mm -hmm. because not so much because I wanted them to, to shoot, but because I wanted them, if they ever had to, like if they ever ran across one at a friend's house or when they were out and about that they would know how to safely deal with it. Uh, but also if they ever were in a situation where they needed something that they would have the knowledge to do it. And I just always said, I would rather have, you know, how and not need it than need it and not know how. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a tool. And um, there's a great program through the NRA, Eddie Eagle program, that is great for um, kids. Um, it's an online program that is a great place to start if you don't even know where to start with your kids. Mm-hmm. Just an awareness. And yeah, if they're at a friend's house and they see one, they stop. They don't touch it. They go tell an adult. And, you know, kind of like stop, drop, and roll for fire mm-hmm. drills. It's a tool that we need to respect, but we don't need to be afraid of. And I think that's so much of what's out there right now is is a fear. We used to teach it in school, you know, public school, mm-hmm. gun safety. And somewhere along the way, it turned into a fear versus this is a tool that can be used. Mm-hmm. And this is how to respect that tool. Yeah. Oh, I think that's the really important part is, you know, it is something that needs to be respected, but not, not feared because you don't understand it. Correct. Yeah. Well, that's great. Gosh, I could, I've got more questions, but <laughs> I don't think we can talk for another two hours. So I want to wrap it up and just ask you a couple other questions. Yeah. So What do you think the best way is for a woman to develop her own sense of personal power and courage? Wow, that's a big one. It's one of my favorite questions. (laughs) (laughs) I would say find your voice. And I don't mean overpowering and yelling type voice, which is good in certain situations. But almost your calm and learning how to be okay with not reacting. Or I saw a quote that was really powerful a while back that said something along the lines of be okay with them not knowing your side of things. Wow. Because... I even saw in myself that, well, but I have to explain my side because I want you to realize that I'm an educated person and I'm not being flippant, but sometimes it takes just so much energy and the person isn't even listening that be okay with, okay, and walking away or not feeling like you have to argue your side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think like not everybody deserves to know your side. That is true too. Yep. I have had the same impulse as you as, as 
but I want to explain it because I want you to understand. Right, right. I want <laughs> you I want to understand heard. my frame of reference or, or yeah, yeah, but it, sometimes it's not worth your energy. Yeah, and sometimes it's a person who in the grand scheme of things in your life really is not that relevant. You know, Correct. They may play a very small role in your life. They may be somebody that you only cross paths with once or twice. You know, and I mean, as a, as a human being, they matter, but in the, in the big picture of your life, they're not very relevant. And so why waste the time, the energy, the effort trying to get them to understand, to see your perspective, if they're not interested, they don't care, or it's not going to make any difference ultimately, whether they do or they don't. At the end of the day. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. I have never thought about that before. That is super powerful. It kind of made me sit back and go, huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because there were so many times, and especially in today's world, I want to show that I am a kind-hearted, well-rounded person. And if somebody makes a snap judgment about me, I felt like, no, you have to understand. I'm I but you know what? They made that judgment. If I'm okay with who I am and how I live my life, then I don't need to spend my precious resource of my energy on that person mm-hmm. and giving them my side of things. Yeah. I love that. That is absolutely awesome. Wow. Well, so if if women want to learn more uh, about the well-armed woman, where can they go? They can go to T-A-W-A shootingchapters.org. T-A-W-A? The, excuse me, T-W-A-W. Oh, there we go. The (laughs) Well-Armed Woman, Uh but it's the acronym. Right. Then spelled out shootingchapters.org. Okay. And that is, by going there, you can then go to find a chapter And you can put in your area code and find the closest chapter to you. Oh, that's great. And then if women want to get in touch with you, how would they find you? So me personally is prepandmakeready (laughs) at gmail.com. Okay, that's awesome. And is there, for the local chapters, do you have like a Facebook group or page or there is a public Facebook page for each chapter, uh, which you can find through TWAW shooting chapters.org each. Once you find your local chapter, there should be a link to the public Facebook page. And that will then give you not only when you find the local chapter, it will tell you when that chapter meets and at what time. But then I suggest always keeping an eye on that public Facebook page because there are times when just because the Placerville chapter is on the second Sunday of the month, we may have to move it due to a holiday falling there or what have you. So the most current will usually be on that public Facebook Okay, page. that's great. And then once you become a member, you are then brought into a private Facebook group where we can get information across and have discussions 
where it is just members. So it's a safe space. So that would be where you mentioned that sometimes there are special training sessions that are held and bring in outside instructors and things like that. So that would be communicated in the, in the local groups private. That, and often we do do it on the public page because we offer it to well-armed women members, but oftentimes to fill a class, we will offer it to the public as mm-hmm. well. And then that ends up being a fundraiser for the chapter because we are completely nonprofit. And so we, what we do is we do many fundraisers throughout the year as well so that we can help with scholarships and such for either women who can't afford to become a member or helping those members that really want to take more training, but just simply can't afford to at the moment. Or we encourage so many members to become leadership and and become even entrenched more with the chapters. And so we will, we can do scholarships for them to go to national conference, or we can do scholarships for them to take their instructor training. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, I think what you've, what you've done in this conversation is you've really painted a great picture for, you know, if you are somebody who is already comfortable with firearms and you just want to be part of a community of like-minded women and, and to have access, not just to range time, but also to training. It's a great way to go. Yes, because we encourage right after our classroom session, most chapters right afterwards have a a practice shoot. And so if nothing else, you at least practice at least once a month. I encourage much, much more. (laughs) But Yeah, that's great. But then also for women who are brand new or maybe don't even have a firearm now and are not even 100% sure that they want one, you've really given a great pathway to sort of dipping your toe in the pool mm-hmm. <laughs> and a, a way to learn about a lot of the issues and the concerns and the fears that a lot of women have. And then also like the process for starting to learn how to use and handle a weapon like this and then find something that actually is appropriate for you. Mm-hmm. So that's the it's just been great. I am so glad that we've had this conversation. Oh, me too. This was fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, Karen, for coming on the show. And I'm sure that there are going to be people who are going to follow up with this because uh, it's something that I know a lot of women have a lot of curiosity about and not necessarily, you know, the comfort or ease to just walk into a, a gun store or into a range and ask a bunch of questions. So. Right. And and it can even be intimidating just to come to a first meeting. But we say, you know, there are no stupid questions. Everyone has to start somewhere. And we will help guide you on the path you need to be on. Oh, it's great. It's I mean, there is no more supportive, encouraging way for women to learn than in a group of women who have experienced the same kinds of things and gone mm-hmm. through the same learning process exactly uh, and who want to give back by supporting other women so that's that's just awesome well thank you karen for coming on the show this has been an absolute blast i look forward to maybe coming back again absolutely (laughs) well this has been the born to be a badass podcast stay safe and be a badass 
You've been listening to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the groundbreaking show that shines the light on women, violence and safety, life after trauma, and how to build personal power and courage. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and share it with your friends, family members, and colleagues. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review that will help our show reach more women around the world. Tune in regularly for more exciting conversations full of insights and wisdom you won't hear anywhere else. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.